Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning. All right, there. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Mark Stevens. Uh, my wife Barbara is down here. My son is in the back. There, Nathan is in the back. Um, we were uh, in Southeast Asia for 22 years as missionaries, and two years ago came back here to begin training new missionaries as they were sent out. And since we have come here for those two years, we've been part of the Way uh, Church and uh, also am part of the teaching group. So as I said, Josh is out today uh, on vacation, he and Rachel, hopefully getting some good rest. Um, so we are going to continue a series that we've been going through on Culture Church out of First Timothy. And um, up to this point, we've talked a lot about like qualifications of an elder and the deacons uh, in chapter 4. That was in chapter 3. In chapter 4, we were talking about instructions that Paul gave specifically to Timothy about his own character and things to expect. And then in chapter 5, uh, he begins talking about instructions to give to different particular groups. Uh, so last week, we looked at widows and instructions specifically for widows. And this week, we're going to look at instructions about elders. And so if you're titling, if you take notes and like to title it, uh, I've titled mine Instructions About Elders. Um, so again, this is in the series as we're talking about culture church. So are we going to be a church that just becomes like the culture, or are we going to be a church that is biblical and, try, and that influences the culture? So today we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 5, specifically uh, verses, starting with verse 17, and we'll be going through verse uh, 25. Before we get started today, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. Thank you, Father, for just the ability to worship and open. Father, we thank you for uh, just that we could come today and truly worship for you. We pray, Father, as we read this passage and study this passage, passage together, Father, that your spirit would be our teacher and that you would show us how to apply it, and Father, show us how we can uh, live it out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, do we really need to know about instructions about Elder's passage? So, let's start. Uh, we'll read 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll read the first two verses to start with in verse 17 and 18. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. But the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Okay? So in these instructions about elders, the very first thing it says is that the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So what does double honor mean? Well, it actually uh, means both respect and pay. 
So in instructions about the elders, first thing is that if the leader is a good leader and they are working hard, they're full-time in preaching and teaching, then they, re- they should receive double honor, meaning both respect and pay. So is it right to pay the pastor? Yes. Okay, and it gives some illustrations of that. First specifically says, Deuteron- it uses Deuteronomy 25.4, where it says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. But then it also quotes Jesus, uh, saying the worker is worthy of his wages. So both the Old Testament and Jesus confirm that. Um, This is not the only passage that talks about this. Paul also talks about this when he's writing to the Corinthians. And I thought it would be informative for us to see, because he actually goes further even talking about this oxen um, in Deuteronomy 25, but then extends some other uh, examples of that as well. So we'll have that on the screen as well in First uh, Corinthians 9, 7 through 11. I, I want to read that. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? I am, am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses... Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it not too much if we reap material benefits from you? Okay. So this is in the context of Paul actually talking about usual what people who are full-time in the ministry should be paid. Now he does in this go on to say because of this context he was on in his mission field, he chose not to receive that because he wanted to be able to work specifically in the Greek world that he was working in and then think that he didn't do it just for the sake of pay. But the norm is is that if someone is full-time in uh, the ministry that they are paid, okay? And so that's, this is, again, just shows, it comes back to the same verse from Deuteronomy 25, 4, that do you muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain? And he goes on to say, is God really concerned about oxen? Is that the point of what he was saying in Deuteronomy? It wasn't just about oxen. It was really for us. He was saying it for our sake. And that... If we've sown spiritual things, then we reap material benefits. And so, uh, so the answer to the question then, um, should an, an elder, specifically an elder who is full-time in preaching and teaching, works hard in preaching and teaching, should they be paid? The answer is yes. Now, does that mean that all elders are paid? No, not all elders are paid. Not only those who are full-time who are good leaders, and the full-time in preaching and teaching. So, um, what does that mean for us at this church? Do we have an elder, a pastor, who is full-time in preaching and teaching? Yes, who's that? That's Josh. That is why we pay Josh. 
okay? And one of the things that I'm very proud of in our church is that we take care of Josh and his family, and that's something that doesn't always happen, and I'm very proud of this church. Even a young church is very, has been very good of taking care of him and his family's needs. So that's good. But it doesn't mean that when we bring on other elders that the other elders will get paid. Only those who are full-time in preaching and teaching, okay? And so for our church, that will be just Josh. The others will not be paid. Okay, so... That's the first thing. And first instruction then is to those who are good leaders, who work hard in preaching and teaching, should have double honor. Should be honored and paid. Showed respect and paid. Okay, so that's the first instruction. The second is in verse 19. So let's read there in verse 19 to 21. Says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin, so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Okay? So the second instruction that he gives here, Paul gives to Timothy here, which is very good, it helps us, is that what happens if someone says, the pastor did this, or an elder did this? What do we do? Okay, so there's some very specific instructions here. First, I want to start with the ending there, that he solemnly solemnly charges him before God, Christ, and the elect angels. So this is really important, right? that he is to do this without prejudice and without favoritism. We are to check, and the word prejudice there is without prejudging. So if someone comes with an accusation, you shouldn't, um, shouldn't say, oh, I don't think he did that. Or you shouldn't say, oh, I bet he did do that. You should not prejudge. It should be thoroughly investigated. So you investigate it thoroughly, without prejudice, and without favoritism. It is to be truly checked out. If it is just, uh, this person said this, that person said that, and there's no way to prove it, one way or the other, the accusation is not to be entertained, it says. But, if the accusation turns out to be true, or it is, can be supported by witnesses, then what are we to do? There to be, those who sin should be publicly rebuked. That's what the scripture says. So let's say that there's something against one of the elders, and it turns out to be true. What do you do? That means probably on Sunday morning, um, one of the other leaders would be standing up and will publicly rebuke the person. Now, there are certain aspects of that as would also mean removal. Uh, we get from other verses as well. But, um, but there is a public rebuke. Why? So that the rest will be afraid. There is a high standard in being an elder, with being a leader. There's expectations. 
And why is this? When we look back at all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, God is about uh, a kingdom community. He wants a kingdom of people from every ethnic group who are obeying him fully and whose focus is extending his kingdom. Okay? So that is why we see the church in the New Testament is given the mission, the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups. And so that is why even in our, in our, you know, when we look at what the way is about, we're to love God, love others, and make disciples. Making disciples is a big part of what we do as a church. It's the mission of the church. But what God wants is not just a church of meaning people come and gather and then do their own thing, but these are disciples, Making disciples are people who are fully devoted to the Lord, who are obeying what he's saying, and who are sharing the gospel with others. And that is what God wants. He wants this kingdom of people who are as a pure community. He wanted this in Israel, but what happened in Israel? They didn't obey. And the reason is they didn't have the Spirit of God in them to do it. God wanted a pure community. So in the New Testament, the church was formed as a new community. Testament, right? The new covenant is that we now have the Spirit. Because of what Jesus did dying on the cross and saving us, we can now be in the presence of God. We have the Spirit of God, and He now does in us the expectations of which we were supposed to do, but we could not do. But it's only by the Spirit. So the church is is called the church in the New Testament was called the called out ones. It's the word ecclesia, the called out ones. We have called out of the world to be pure and we're to be different than the world. And this is supposed to represent who God is. So that when people see the church, it is a people that is different. A people that is pure. Now, are we all perfectly pure? (laughs) We all mess up, right? It's only by God's grace. The thing is, is when we are saved, we actually become holy and blameless in his sight. And then we're made in the process, being made like Christ, so that we become holy. That's the the big words for that is uh, justification and sanctification, right? But uh, the the point of this is, is the church is supposed to be different than the world. So the leaders are to be different. They have a higher standard, and so there's an expectation is, is that they are above reproach, as we learned about in chapter 3, right? They have a standard that's further above, without a reproach. And so that is why when an accusation is made against an elder, it is taken seriously. And if there is, to be, is there sin found in the elder, then it must be dealt with, and it's dealt with publicly, now, this is fascinating to me because uh, recently um, we've heard stories, of, if you've watched anything with the news, with the Southern Baptist Convention. And they have recently decided that people who, who have sinned uh, in a moral way, a sexual way, especially uh, in sp- some specific ways, there were some churches that were hiding that or just kind of keeping it quiet and not saying anything about it. But now they've decided to come out and publicly say it. That's actually what the Scripture says, and it follows what the Scripture says here, is that they are to be publicly rebuked for sin. 
And so this is really important that for the sake of the church and the purity of the church, that if an elder has truly done something, he needs to be rebuked publicly. Now, that does not mean that well, we see Josh got frustrated or something like that, and therefore we're going to rebuke every single little thing. This is talking about patterns of life or sins that are serious. Uh, then, um, then they would be rebuked publicly. Okay, so... This is what we are doing in our church, and we're trying to follow what the Bible says. We're not getting to where we become like the culture and just kind of sweep things under the rug so people don't know about it. We, the Bible is very specific about that, that there is a public rebuke with this. Okay, so then we go on. So the, so the first thing was if, there, if the elder is a good teacher, is a good leader, and is full-time in preaching and teaching, they should have double honor, which includes pay. The second is that if there's an accusation against an elder that the should be checked out seriously without um, prejudice or favoritism, and that if it's just uh, one person said this, one person said that, it cannot be confirmed, then we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't accept the accusation. But if it can be uh, proven or shown to have witnesses to it, then the person, the elder would be rebuked publicly. Okay, so that's the second one. The third instruction about elders is found in verse 22. And actually we'll read 22 and then we'll read 24 and 25 because I want to come back to 23 because it's a parenthetical uh, aside talking about something specifically here. Let's read verse 22. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And then down in verse 24. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to the judgment. But the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious. And those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Okay. So the third instruction here is don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. Okay, so that's the third thing. Don't be quick to appoint anyone as an elder. Why would that be important? What do you think? You don't want to just quickly lay on hands of somebody and appoint them as an elder or any leader, a deacon or whatever, until you have seen their character, see that they truly meet the qualifications that we talked about in chapter 3 that were laid out for what a leader should have. Both elders and deacons are laid out in chapter 3. Again, this comes back to that if you put somebody in leadership and then they have character problems, then you're in a world of hurt, right? And you're having to deal with some really big problems then. So it's better not to quickly lay on hands and then say, oops, shouldn't have done that. And so he gives the instructions to Timothy here to not, don't be too quick in appointing anyone as an elder. Okay, so as we begin thinking as a church, I've been um, thinking about who will be elders, who will be deacons. That is not something that we just take lightly. <clears throat> they really do need to make the qualifications, which we talked about in chapter 3. It lays them out very specific. For an elder, they have to have the ability to teach, they have to have the ability to manage, which is seen in how they take care of their family, and there's a whole list of character qualities, and most of it is about character. 
Now then with deacons, you have the same things except the requirement to be able to teach is not there. And so deacons don't have to have the ability to teach. But it's a lot about character. And the reason for that is if you have somebody in leadership who doesn't have the character, then it's going to come back and you're going to have problems. And so it's better to, that doesn't mean everybody, anybody, that everybody's perfect or anything like that, but that you should not see these patterns of character issues in the person and appointing them as an elder or a deacon. Okay, so the third instruction here is not to be, is don't be too quick in appointing anyone as an elder. And then it goes on in that same verse to keep yourself pure. Uh, don't share in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. Okay, so the fourth instruction here is he's telling Timothy, don't share in the sins of others, but keep yourself pure. Okay? Okay, at work, where you work, does everybody act like Jesus? I thought I'd get a good laugh on that one. All right? There's a lot that don't, right? And so... One of the instructions here, this is specifically about elders. So if, if people are starting to get off, don't just join in because somebody else is joining in, but keep yourself pure. But I want us to apply this even in our own lives, uh, in our work lives. There are times at work that people are going to do things and want you to join in that are not right. And... Uh, it goes in verse 24 and 25 talks about this, that some people's sins are going to be obvious and others will surface later. And then in verse 25, the good works, are, some are obvious and some will be seen later. And here's the point. If you go along with something, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Sin does eventually come out. So if you're hiding a sin, it will come out. So this is where we're to repent of any sin. It will eventually come up. But if you just go along with somebody else and join them so that you don't uh, get persecuted, it will eventually come out and it will implicate you. And one of the things that I know from one of our members of our church right now is this last week he had to face a lot of persecution because he was trying to be moral in how he acted at work. And he's to be commended what he had to face. And he was, I mean, they really went at him, right? But that should be commended. I know he was discouraged. But this is, this is what it's like in being a Christian because we live differently. So at your work, people are wanting you to bandwagon, join on with them. But don't do it because eventually it will come out. And so we are to not share in the sins of others and keep ourselves pure. Because we know that in the end, that some are obvious sins, but whatever else isn't obvious is going to come out. And the same with good works. Whatever, some are obvious, but those will come out as well. So we are to keep pure. And again, this comes back to the... That God wants a holy church. God is a holy God, right? Can anyone with sin actually come into God's presence? No, can't. 
Okay, this is, this is part of the gospel, right? There's the bad news, but then the word gospel actually means good news. So there's the good news part. But the bad news part is, is, is God is a holy God, and he will not let sin into his presence, and I have sin, right? Who here has ever sinned? Raise your hand, and everybody's hand should be up, right? All right? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the standards that God has, Okay? We're all sinners. God is a holy God. You think about Adam. I mean, how many sins did Adam commit that we know of? One. And when he committed that first sin, even though he had all of these good works, right? Those didn't count to take away the one sin. So we cannot think for ourselves that Hey, we can do all these good things and counteract. Even one sin, it doesn't work. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They were separated from that special presence with God. That's part of the gospel is that we don't have a way back to God. We were created for God. God is holy. We were created for the relationship with him, but we can't get back to him. But But God has made a way by... Himself coming in Jesus, coming and Himself dying on the cross to take away our sins so that we could come back into relationship with Him. So that we could have that intimacy and that relationship with which we were created for. And that's the good news, is the good news is that Jesus died for our sin. That He was buried and He, was, and he raised from the dead on the third day. And but now the... The repentance and the forgiveness of sin is to be proclaimed in all the world. So that we can have this relationship. Now that we're in this relationship, that's what the church is, is those who've been called out, those who've come back in relationship with God, and we as the church then are to be different because now we have the Spirit of God living in us, helping us to actually become more and more like Jesus in character. So we are to be pure. Keep ourselves pure. Okay, so then we get to verse 23. um, And in verse 23 here, um, when he's talking in this section about keep yourself pure, and then in verse 23 he says this to Timothy, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Okay? So what is happening here? Uh, Timothy must have been had must have decided he wasn't going to drink uh, wine. Decided that he wasn't going to drink alcohol. So because of that, he was drinking water. Now the water of the day was not that great, and so he was getting sick, and he was frequently getting sick. And so, what does Paul tell him? Don't just continue drinking only water. Use a little wine. Because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Okay? So a couple things here. First is, um, he does not forbid drinking wine. It's, it is, biblically, it is not wrong to drink wine. Now, it does say drink a little wine here. Okay? And... There are, and in Romans tells us that there are those who are believers who make a decision to not drink wine in Romans 14. 
And it said, what it, and if you should be convinced in your own mind, it says in, verse, in, in chapter 14 of Romans. But it, the Bible does not forbid drinking. But it does say not to be drunk. And so we see here the instructions from Paul to Timothy is use a little wine. Especially because wine does have some medicinal properties and, and would help him with his stomach. He was frequently having illnesses. And so if you look at most medicines, they'll have a little bit of alcohol in them because there are some medicinal properties in, in alcohol. So we're not to, so the application of this is not to forbid uh, drinking, but the key here is a little wine. Okay, so the instructions we have so far for elders are, first, if an elder uh, is full-time in preaching and teaching, and they're a good leader, they should receive double honor, both respect and pay. The second is uh, that if an accusation is made, then against an elder, it should be taken seriously. No prejudging, no favoritism should be truly looked at. If it's just one person says this, one person says that, there's no, there's no corroborating evidence for it, then we don't entertain it. But if it turns out to be true, there are witnesses to it, then an elder is, repu- is rebuked publicly. Okay, and the third is not to lay, uh, not to appoint people quickly. And the fourth is not to share in the sins of others, but to keep ourselves pure. Okay, so that is the instructions that he is given here uh, in 1 Timothy 5 for, for elders. Um, I want us to think about the context of this being in the church, though. And what this means, we always come back. The whole purpose of these is purity, the, that God is holy and he wants a holy church. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have a response here in just a moment. And I want you to think about your response to what we've read here. One, I want you to think about um, if you have never truly, truly trusted that what Jesus did on the cross and his death and resurrection save you and take away your sins, then that needs to be your first response, okay? I know that when I, when I was younger, I thought I was saved. I went to church. My dad was a pastor. I was in church every day because my dad was a pastor. We had to be there every day, right? Um, but I was there every day. I, I believed in Jesus, but I was trusting that I would go to heaven because I was a pretty good kid, and I was a pastor's kid, and I go to church all the time. What is that based on? It was based on what I was doing. None of that can save us. Just like doing good works cannot save us, nothing that we do can save us. And so I came to the conclusion, well, after reading Scripture, is that I really wasn't a believer at that time because I hadn't truly trusted that what Jesus did was what was saving me. And though I had been baptized, I was a member of the church, I got second 
in a contest for memorizing scripture, a whole list of things, none of that can save us, right? And I realize that the only thing that we can trust and truly rely on for why we are saved is nothing because of what we have done, but only for what he has done. And that uh, Romans 10, 9 says, if this is faith, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the promise of salvation comes with we truly have faith that turning to Jesus as Lord, that's called repentance, and true heart belief. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, right? So it's true heart belief. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but it's a true trusting that what Jesus did is what saved us. Because God is a holy God. He is perfect. And he does not let sin into his presence. But what he has done in the form of Jesus is to come down and be the payment for our sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, God was leading up to this. We could see in the sacrifices, they would have to bring, to come into God's presence, they would have to bring an animal, like a lamb. They'd have to put their hand on the head of the lamb confess their sin symbolically, it was transferred to the lamb, and then the lamb, because the wages of sin is death, had to be killed. They would take the blood and put it on the post of the altar, and then the animal was burned in fire, representing judgment for sin. And then the priest would come out and say, your sins are forgiven. Then they could talk and commune with God. Now, can animals actually die in our place? No, they were all symbolic of Jesus. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It wasn't that the lambs could, these animals could take away sins, but they were showing all the way through the Old Testament, every time they had to bring a sacrifice, a sacrifice to show that it was Jesus. He was coming, God himself, God with us, was coming, and he was a perfect He was the perfect Lamb of God who would die in our place so that our sins would be forgiven. And the only way that our sins are forgiven is not because of anything that we have done, but because He has died and He has taken our sin judgment on Himself and He died in our place. And now He offers us salvation if we will have faith in Him. And that faith includes Confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. But it has to be a heart belief, a true understanding. So if you have not done that this morning, if you've not truly placed your faith in Jesus, truly placed your faith in what Jesus did in dying and raising again takes away your sin, then that needs to be your first response today. That's the most important thing. But also... Maybe some of the response today is to think about in your own life, maybe at work, maybe in your family, is there anything of which that others are wanting you to do that is not exactly right and you know it's not? Then you need to follow that. Another response is we're going uh, to, in a moment, and the band could go ahead and come up, we are going to worship, right? We're worshiping in thanksgiving and praise. We're giving back to the Lord things that he deserves, thanksgiving and praise. And so 
One way you can respond is to stand and just sing out to the Lord, right? So we will respond. That's a one response. It may be that you want to just stand. That's what most will do, stand and praise. It may be, though, that there's something on your own heart, and you just need to sit and pray, and that's how you need to respond today. That's okay. That, that's good. That's a good response. We need to take in what the Lord has said and respond to him. It may be that there's just something, maybe there's a sin in your life, or there's something troubling you, and you need to just grab somebody else and ask them to pray with you. That's a great response. We will also have people on the side over here, a prayer team that will pray with you. But I'm going to pray for us here, and then I want you to respond. And respond and worship and respond however the Lord is leading you today. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you show us exactly what we need to do. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be convicting us each here today and showing us how there are ways that we are not fully following you. I pray, Father, that, um, that we would truly respond and worship to you in spirit and in truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer, or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.